0: Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice.
1: This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.
2: You're listening to the Private Collector. Hang on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. Episodes of The Private Collector are heard first and presented ad free by supporters of the show. To support the show and get access to episodes a year before anyone else hears them, support the Wicked Library on Patreon.com forward slash Wicked Library or through a membership at the Wicked
1: What if you could have a career?
2: The Private Collector Season 1 Episode 4 The Juju That Lives in My Pocket By Aaron Vleck It had been weeks since the librarian summoned me to his basement lair. That left me with a whole lot of time on my hands, and the ghosts who spoke to me from the shadows were closing in hard and fast. That meant Doug, my old partner Doug Cartwright, whereabouts unknown and otherwise presumed dead, was keeping me company. I'd gone up to Hudson to put all the nightmares behind me, but Doug's shade, or maybe it was just my guilt about his fate, had followed me up there. He'd been screaming warnings at me all the while I was holed up at Leviathan's place, prior to his disappearance under peculiar circumstances. Yeah, Doug was on my mind a lot during the slowdown in action with the librarian, there was nothing to do but swill rot yet shine with the old geezers down by the river or put in regular hours on a stool at the huntsman with the working stiffs. The usual pastimes that fuel the guilt mares, I suppose. Could I have done something to save Doug? Was he even dead? Or in some limbo? Held prisoner by questionable Denzians of unknown origin guarding who knows what? I had no clue what happened to him not for sure anyways Doug's voice when I heard it was all too real despite my little stint in Bellevue I couldn't help but wonder I'd called out to him in my head a lot sure but there was nothing I could go on I'd even done some of the hoodoo gymnastics I'd picked up over the years for breaking through to the other side of things but no go It nagged at me night and day like an itch you just can't scratch "'Sorry, buddy. I just don't know what I could have done,' I said aloud one afternoon. "'Maybe to myself. Maybe hoping there was some part of my old pal still out there somewhere that could hear me. "'Maybe it was a prayer or a spell or incantation. Something like that, anyway. Or maybe all 3 "'I'd avoided the elevator in the hotel lobby, what the night clerk insisted on calling the lift like the plague,' Sure, it appeared from time to time with that silent, come-hither look you sometimes get from the wrong kind of dame. But I was staying clear. It was one thing when I was on some caper for the librarian, but I wasn't signing up for any extracurricular sightseeing jaunts to Lala Land. If the librarian wanted to go incommunicado on me for a bit, who was I to complain? Doug wasn't the only thing on my mind, either. The librarian had given me orders to find some mysterious safe place where I could stash the black glass pyramid that held the burnt-up remains of the Tome from Hell, an ugly little black-and-white comic book number I'd gotten trapped in and almost winded up a dead man. The place had been teeming with hideous creature things from out of somebody's DTs who belonged in Bellevue a lot more than I did. Somehow, I was supposed to get to an unnamed someplace with no directions, no way to get there, until the place itself was good and ready to reveal itself to me. Typical librarian mumbo-jumbo. I was more than ready to be rid of the thing, too. Even though it was nothing but ash now, that book called to me in ways that made me want a hot shower and a stiff drink. The problem was, I was jonesing real bad to answer, to pick up the box and run for parts unknown, even though I knew that would be the biggest mistake of my life. So far... I'd been able to resist the thing, but I still had no idea where this safe place was, and I knew I wouldn't find any address for it at City Hall. I'd even taken a bottle down to the riverfront to see if the old geezers might be in more of a talkative mood than the librarian. As soon as they saw me coming, they just started slapping their knees and hooting and hollering with laughter, and then set out in their boat. Go on now, Get! One of them cackled from the middle of the river. I was dumbfounded how that little boat held all five of those guys without pitching them into the drink. You know better than to try for no shortcuts off of us. Size there ain't any. At least not down here in the ground where you can reach them. Another of them yelled at me, and they set off roaring again. I shook my head and turned back towards town when I heard the flapping of a whole lot of wings behind me. <laughs> as a mess of big birds took flight. I knew if I turned around, those old boys would be long gone. It was coming on summer, just about a year after I'd first set foot in Hudson, and it was a hot one. I picked up some odd jobs here and there, nothing fancy, but enough to get my grubby hands on a few clams to pay for my room and keep myself in good standing at the Huntsman. Brenda and I, Brenda Ward from the library. We'd been meeting for coffee now and then. A dinner here and there. But nothing steady, and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. I'd never kissed her, and she'd never made her intentions clear, so... I just took it nice and easy. Brenda was in cahoots with the librarian's crew anyway, so... Yeah. I was taking it real easy. She'd never let a hint drop about her angle in all this, and I knew better than to ask. So... For now, Miss Ward was calling the shots. I've always played real nice with the Janes, but one that boasted a dead aim on a crossbow wasn't a thing to be tangled with in the wrong way. Who knew what else she might be packing under the hood? And I wasn't taking any chances. Besides, I liked her. Liked her a lot. And if that meant she took the lead on this thing, then I suppose that's what it meant. "'Anyway, like I was saying, it was a hot day, and I'd gone down to the Huntsman for some ice and a few beers. "'When I got back to the hotel, the stairs were closed, and the night crew was scrubbing the rug. "'What gives? How am I supposed to get to my room?' I barked, "'and the jerk at the desk glared at me and jabbed his thumb toward the elevator. "'What do you think? You ain't scared, are you?' he asked." peering at me sideways through narrowed eyes. You wants maybe I should ride up with you and hold your hand? He started snorting. beside <laughs> himself with laughter, which got the guys going real good, too. I was about to head back down to the bar when a face popped out of the elevator, and a little Moppet with a head full of yellow curls giggled <laughs> and wiggled her finger at me.
0: Come on, I can't wait all day,
2: she said, her little hand holding the door open for me. Ah, oh, shit, I muttered. The last thing I wanted to do was get on that thing, but I couldn't let a kid stumble into some nuthouse rodeo. All right, all right, keep your hat on, I said. Once the contraption started its shimmy dance toward the stars, I got a good look at the kid. She couldn't have been but nine or ten. Old-fashioned dress and shoes, and I wondered if there was Amish in town, but she didn't really look like that. Old-fashioned, kind of. Or foreign, maybe. You ever ride this elevator before? I asked, casually. Of course! (laughs) She giggled again.
0: (laughs) All the time! It's my lift, after all.
2: Huh. Cute. You notice anything strange, or uh, ever have any trouble with it letting you off on the wrong floor and seeing something you didn't expect?
0: Never. It always lets me off on exactly the right floor i like to guess what floor the other people are getting off on, too. Like you, Mr. Enfield. Yours is on the sixth floor.
2: She said, like she was cocksure of herself. (laughs) No. I snorted. Strangely delighted she'd guessed wrong. And say, how do you know my name?
0: I heard that man say it when he told you to get on the lift. And I do think I'm correct about the sixth floor being just right for you. Here we are. Let's see.
2: I knew the guy hadn't said my name, but maybe she'd heard it from somebody else. Small town, washed-up big city detective and all. The lift, as she called it, halted, and I saw we were indeed on the sixth floor of what was usually my three-story hotel building.
0: Here we are. Off you go, Mr. Enfield.
2: No, kid. Like I said, this isn't my floor, I said. Ready to flip my wig over her games and... Not wanting to see what was on the other side of the door. Except that when the door opened, we were back in my old office in Manhattan. Not my office like I'd seen in that crazy comic book caper. This was the real deal. My office in all its glory, before the explosion, before the shenanigans that sent me to the loony bin. I didn't know what to do about the kid. But she got off the lift and stood there, looking at me like everything was normal.
0: Well, aren't you coming, Mr. Enfield?
2: You better get back in here, kid. It's not safe out there. Aren't you scared? Come on, get back here. She just ran off and started <laughs> giggling, and her voice faded away. There was nothing I could do, so I lit out after her. She was gone. My old office wasn't that big, and she was nowhere to be seen. There was a door that, well, wasn't any door that I'd had in my office, and it was a jar, so I figured that's where the kid must have gotten off to. I went over and yanked it open, and I was back in my hotel room, and the kid was sitting on my bed, holding the black pyramid box with the burned-up comic book inside it. Hey, no you don't. Give me that, I yelped. As I grabbed for it, she yanked it out of reach so fast, I almost fell on my face. She just sat there, staring at me.
0: I believe you were given instructions for storing this in a safe place.
2: She said, looking way too grown up for her age. Whatever I was going to say stuck in my craw. And I had to take a step back and gulp hard at the transformation. Not in how she looked. She was still a little kid, alright. But the look on her face. And those eyes. Eyes that saw right through me. I had to look away, like all of a sudden I had egg on my face. The only other person that could do that to me was the librarian.
0: I believe you better come with me, Mr. Enfield, before it's too late. We have a lot of work to do, and there's not much time. People are waiting.
2: She said (laughs) with that kid giggle again, then she jumped down off my bed and made a dash for the door. All I could do was follow. Work to do. People were waiting. Yeah, sure they were. Why not?
0: You keep coming back to this office, but do you know why?
2: The girl asked as we stood in the middle of the old office again. Say, what's your name? I asked, ignoring her question. I didn't need Spidey to tell me it was showtime. The infamous, safe place had just revealed itself. And this, this kid was clearly the librarian's agent. That meant hell. Hell. I had no damn idea what it meant, so I just played it cool.
0: I'm Victoria, silly,
2: she said, like I was a moron.
0: Now, tell me, why do you keep coming back to this office?
2: I don't. Are you nuts? I bellowed. Sorry, kid. I'm having a rough go here. I keep getting dragged back here every time I get on that elevator, that lift. I don't know why.
0: Liar, liar, pants on fire
2: She hissed, wagging her finger at me
0: It's not nice to forget your friends Especially when they're in trouble
2: The kid turned and dashed out the door into the hall When I stepped out into the hall This time, I was in a cemetery An ancient cemetery that could not be mistaken For any other cemetery in the whole wide world I was in cemetery number one on Basin Street, New Orleans. It was the dead of night. The place was deserted. I was staring at the stark white mausoleum of Marie Laveau, the legendary voodoo queen, her grave heaped with flowers and candles and gifts and such from her many followers and admirers who came from all over the world to pay their respects. There were little pieces of paper tacked up to the front of the grave with red wax, each one traced with the delicate lines of the veve of her Freda, the goddess of love, letting her know that she was welcome to appear any time, should she be of a mind and in a gracious turn. That didn't scare me none, though. Everybody I knew with a stake in the matter said old Marie was damn good people, even now. As for Freida, well, we could all do with a bit more love on her side. I reached into my pocket and fumbled with the juju doll that lived there, who, along with Spidey, kept me safe and passably sane in these curious times. I wandered down the narrow lane between the distinctive white marble sarcophagi that kept the rising waters of the good old Mississippi from defiling the sleep of the peacefully departed and offending the refined sensibilities of both locals and visitors to the ancient site. It was a quiet night and nothing seemed out of the ordinary, nothing to give away the unorthodox route by which I'd come to be here some 1,500 miles from home. But this was home of a sort, at least it had been for a while, and that was why I wasn't spooked or nothing to be wandering around number one past the juju hour. I thought of the kid again, wandering around here alone and figured she had no cause to be scared herself if she was tied up with a librarian somehow. The fact that she had the black glass pyramid with the odious ashes locked safely inside and out of circulation gave me a measure of comfort I hadn't felt in weeks. I was enjoying the luxury. When I say the place was deserted and I was alone, that wasn't quite how it was. There was a dark shadow that danced along behind me, just visible over my left shoulder if I was to glance real quick in his general direction. He sure didn't scare me none, and I was glad of the company. There was all kind of folks here, and kids too, and that made me kind of sad. Other folks was coming and going on whatever business they was up to on a night like this, and a good many of them stopped to tip a hat or mumble a few words in front of Marie's grave. These were the dead. The long dead. And, at least here in number one, I always found a certain peace in their presence. Then, they were gone. I sensed a different kind of movement deep in the shadows all around me. And following along behind. Making sure to stay out of my line of sight if I stop the time I shoe or take in the sights. It seemed I got turned around, and then the shadow was up ahead of me, and stayed a ways off as I made my way deeper into number one. I was almost knocked flat on my keister by a wave of pain and rage that washed over me, as the shadow closed in tighter around me. But I just kept on walking, slowed to be sure, but keeping a pace. A black mist like ink and water flowed past me. Up ahead in the middle of the pathway, there was what looked like a pile of rags, heaving with the shakes amidst the sounds of bones rattling. As I got near, it slowly rose up, tall and dressed in tattered black rags, the filthy shredded remains of a white shroud dangling from its head like long, tangled hair. Standing to its full height, the shadow extended a long, bony finger at me. Then it opened its mouth and screamed. Its breath a hot rush of grave rot that made me gag. Its two eyes skewered me to the bowels. I was frozen where I stood, or I'd have run like a scared kid. But it wasn't fear that turned my guts inside out, it was sadness and guilt. The face of the shadow was hidden deep inside its shroud, but those two dark eyes held mine in a cold grip until the whole of the world faded away and all there was in existence was those two eyes that saw me down to the core of my bones and beyond. And beyond. And there was nowhere to run. You! The dry, crackling sound that I knew was a voice echoed in my head, like some kind of hideous turbine, and felt like it was about to split my skull.
1: You forget. You sleep. You dream. And always you forget.
2: Who are you? What do you want? I groaned. Damn near ready to crap myself. Never had I felt like this. Whatever this was. And it weighed down on me like an anvil and finally crushed me to my knees.
1: You forget your friend. You forget my boy, Frank Enfield, but he'd never forget you. You forget all that I taught you to?
2: The shadow screamed its voice a torrent that whipped to a frenzy, the white rags of the shroud that clung to the exposed bones. What? I stammered.
1: Don't forget my boy!
2: The shadow screamed again. Then it flew at me, passing right through me like a charnel house breeze through a screen door, curdling my blood to a standstill.
1: You find my boy, Frank Enfield! You find my boy and you bring him home safe, you hear me?
2: fell face down on the flagstones, stunned by such a deep touch on my insides that left me bawling like a baby. I'd felt the unmistakable touch of that skeletal finger slithering down my spine. Touch as well known to me as any other that ever walked God's green earth.
1: You don't find my boy, I'm coming to get you. Now. You think on that spell, you hear? And then
2: she was gone. Mama Cartwright, I cried out after her. The dead shade of my old buddy's mother. The juju woman who'd learned up two snot nosed kids at her knee. Her own natural born son, Douglas St. Martin Cartwright. And me. That woman and she'd walked the earth as a living, breathing woman, had fashioned up a juju doll with her own two hands, made of sand and burlap and a shank of my own hair and some other stuff. Secret things. And it had lived in my pocket ever since. But she was gone. And the place was teeming again with the happy, silent dead. And the sounds of the city just waking up as the rays of false dawn crawled across the sky. It was a long time before I got my breath and could get up off my hands and knees. I hadn't even known she was dead. And that... that filled me with shame. I didn't have long to stew in my juices before the sound of an old-fashioned music box made its way through the hot pre-dawn breeze. It made me think of old Marie Laveau again. Maybe somebody had left one on her grave as a token of their affection. Hey,
0: Mr. Enfield!
2: My head shot up. And there was the kid, Victoria, peeking out from one of the mausoleums nearby. Its stone door pushed aside. Kid, what are you doing here? I called out, climbing to my feet and dusting myself off. Even though she was just a kid... I didn't want her seeing a grown man groveling on his hands and knees.
0: Come with me, Mr. Enfield. Your work is almost done, but you still have a very important choice to make. And you better make the right one,
2: Victoria said, curling her finger at me like kids when they're playing hide and seek. Come on out of there, I yelled, trying to sound like the grown-up in charge here, but... Truth be told, I had no idea, really, where we were. Oh... Sure, I knew we were in cemetery number one in New Orleans, but I had no illusions as to us really being here. What with the lift detour and all. Hell, how they even had me calling it that.
0: This way, Mr. Enfield. Duck your head and follow me.
2: She said, using that voice I'd heard the librarian use when he wanted something done and didn't want no sass. I followed the kid into the mausoleum and down a steep, narrow set of stone stairs barely wide enough. It went down, down, down much further than any natural grave had any business going.
0: So what's it going to be then? Are you going to do what Mama Cartwright told you to do? Or are you going to just keep on pretending and play it safe?
2: Pretending? Play it safe? Pretending what? I'm gut-punched night and day about Doug, okay? I growled. Steadying myself against the damp, tight stone walls as we descended into the thin, dead air. I realized then that Victoria was carrying an old-fashioned lamp. Otherwise, we'd have been in pitch darkness. I just don't know what the fuck... Sorry, kid. I don't know what to do, alright? Is Doug alive? Dead? Where is he, and how can I find him? Victoria stopped and turned around and looked at me. I could just make out her face. It was full of disgust.
0: Like I said, playing it safe. Always playing it safe. Everything has to be easy for you, doesn't it, Mr. Enfield? Otherwise, you just don't know what to do. And you call yourself a detective.
2: Ha! And I heard her giggling. (laughs) But it didn't sound so cute this time.
0: I'm afraid there's nothing I can do for you, Frank.
2: She muttered, almost under her breath. And I wasn't sure she was saying it to me, or making some observation of grander and more dire import.
0: You have to take this on yourself. And then it's up to you to find your old friend and save him. If you're up to it.
2: She said. So he can be saved. I barked. All right, then. All right, I'll do whatever I have to. I'll do anything. Doug's my oldest friend and his mama, well... Hell, she taught me everything I know about the other side of things. And I suspect a darn sight more that's buried in there somewhere. I steeled myself for what was to come, and had no idea where I was going to end up tonight. And besides, I said through my teeth, I know that Juju doll right here in my pocket has saved my hide more than a few times. I got no right not to save Mama Cartwright's boy Doug, or go down tryin'. He's my own damn partner, for Christ's sakes.
0: Very well, then. If you're sure you can do it. This can't be left in the hands of a bumbler.
2: I said all right, I barked, bristling at the word that stung like a slap to my face. Damn it, I'll do what I gotta do, no matter what.
0: Then right this way,
2: said Victoria, pushing open a narrow wooden door that flooded the stone passageway with light. The girl stepped in, and I followed. And there we were. Back in the elevator, the lift, and my hotel. By now, I was numb with all this hoo-ha, and took it all in with what I hope passed for my stride. Looking at the control panel, I noticed again there were more buttons than there were floors in my hotel. Say, kid, what's the B for? Where does that take us? I asked, knowing what B meant in normal places I'd traveled in horizontally, but making no damn assumptions otherwise.
0: That's a silly question. You're full of silly questions tonight, aren't you, Mr. Enfield? You know what B stands for. It's basement.
2: She said gravely in that grown-up serious voice again.
0: I'm beginning to wonder if he made a mistake about you.
2: She said, glaring at me. And I winced at the renewed implications of the thing. The library had one of those mysterious basements, too and I wondered if I should press for more, but she beat me to the punch.
0: Don't ever go down to the basement, Mr. Enfield. Not ever, ever, ever. Unless I take you. And I don't suppose I'll be taking you. You wouldn't like it down there. It's not a very nice place.
2: You got it, kid. I'll take you at your word.
0: We'll go back to the sixth floor now. You can get off, then go down the hall. Seventeenth door on your right. Be sure to count very carefully. Then we'll take you to the lovely little elevator in your hotel. Then you can go home and figure out how you're going to find your friend. And to do what his mama told you to do.
2: You've got my word, Victoria. I said, mustering up what I could in the way of a smile.
0: Good! Because everything else hinges on this. And he won't like it if you mess things up. Not at all! I'm glad, Mr. Enfield. Glad you've decided on the right course of action. I have a black glass box with your little burnt up comic book stashed in a very safe place where nobody will ever find it. Not ever!
2: She gave me a friendly little wave. See you around, kid, I said.
0: I don't expect you will, Mr. Enfield. Like I said, you've made the right decision.
2: And then. she was gone. The sound of the music box leaving with me a certain comfort I was thankful for just then. I made it to my comfortable old elevator and it rambled down to the first floor and I got off in the lobby. The second my back was turned, the door slammed shut behind me. I spun around and looked, but it was gone. Just that faded old wallpaper was staring at me. Yeah, staring at me. I had the feeling these days that pretty much everything and everybody was staring at me, except the night manager who was dead to the world and snoring in his chair. So I tiptoed past him and made for the stairs. "'Ideo, Mr. Enfield, sir, hold your horses now. I got something here for you. Figured it might be important-like.' The clerk chirped and ran up to me and shoved an envelope in my fist with a conspiratorial wink and a firm shake of my two hands clasped in his. I looked at it and climbed the stairs to my room. Inside, I sat down on the bed. I could feel the juju doll warming up in my pocket and beating like the pulse of a damned heart. I tore open the letter and stared at the page. There was just four words on that piece of paper.
1: Come now, your light room.
2: Every day we rise The Private Collector was created by Aaron Vleck and Daniel Foytek and features The Librarian, created by Nelson W. Piles. Music for The Private Collector was provided by Nico Vitesse of We Talk of Dreams. Today's episode featured the voice talents of Daniel Foytek, Nelson W. Piles, and Amber Collins as Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes. For more information, show notes, and links, find us online at thewickedlibrary.com. And follow us on Twitter at The Wicked Library. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
2: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>